Hello, and welcome to MGMA Small Talk, where we discuss issues facing practice administrators across the healthcare world. I'm Shannon Geis, staff writer and editor at MGMA, and today I'm speaking with Elizabeth Woodcock. Elizabeth is a professional speaker, author, and trainer specializing in medical practice management. Uh, she has focused on medical practice operations and revenue cycle management for more than 15 years. She is the author of the Operating P Policies and Procedures Manual for Medical Practices, the PCSP Policies and Procedures Guidebook 2016 edition, and many others. She's here with us today to talk a little bit more in depth about improving your practice operations and the patient-centered medical home and patient-centered specialty practice models. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thanks so much, Shannon. Great. So first, I would love to um, hear from you. What are some of the most important issues that administrators should address when they're uh, considering their practice operations? Well, great question. I have to say one of my initial reactions is many don't consider their practices operations. Operations often fall to sort of the low person on the totem pole. Well, we'll get it fixed. Everything will be just fine. And yet, in my opinion, maintaining great workflow that provides access to patients as well as a positive patient experience is really the key to being a successful practice. And what's so exciting is that the consequence of prioritizing these particular areas, like your practice operations, is the fact that they interface nicely with your financial strategy as well. The irony, of course, is that physicians don't get paid by not providing care. And as you know, a poorly functioning practice is definitely not going to be successful in collecting money from patients who have more financial responsibility today than they have ever had before. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the ways that administrators can work to improve those uh, practice operations? Well, I could certainly talk about this topic for literally hours, Shannon, but sure. let me just uh, highlight a couple of, at least in my opinion, key areas to a successful operation. I think it starts off, I mean, this is not rocket science, but you've got to have the right people. And I just, you know, I don't mean people who can arrive a patient in your electronic health record or answer a telephone or draw blood. I am talking about fit here. And, you know, it's been interesting in the last few years, uh, particularly as automation and technology have really taken hold in our practices, I've found that we sort of dug in our heels and almost become obsessed with finding someone who not only knows our specialty, because, you know, we all have this sort of drive to recognize, and, and while I agree on many levels, uh, you know, a practice is a practice, but we've really, really become very, very driven to find someone who has experience in our specialty. And I think even more so, we really, really look for somebody who has experience with our systems. Mm -hmm. And so what we end up doing is uh, finding the two or three candidates for an open position, the only ones we can find who have both specialty experience and experience with our systems are the same two or three people that we let go last year. And so we're, you know, so obsessed with function that we've forgotten about fit. And I got to tell you, to really have a great operation and great experience, it's really about the fit. 
I would say a second key to success in addition to the right people is that we have got to understand who our greatest asset is. And of course, what I'm talking about here is the time of our physicians, advanced practice providers, or any other billable providers. You know, this really is by definition our billable or financial opportunity. But of course, coincidentally, it's exactly what our patients want. They want our provider's time. And it's that time that fulfills your practice's mission of providing quality care to your community. And so this great asset, this time fulfills money and mission. It really is the greatest asset of our practice, both from a business perspective as well as a mission perspective. And then if I may mention last but not least, and again, could go on for hours, but the third key to success that I often see overlooked is a proactive management of the appointment schedule might seem kind of insane because, you know, we're like, all right, I mean, whatever, the schedule's the schedule. But let's think about ideas like predictive booking. Well, this is a term, at least that I use for smart overbooking. So as an example, I have a 24-year-old male, unemployed and uninsured, post-emergency department visit patient who has a 10 a.m. appointment today. Well, you all know the likelihood the likelihood of a show for that patient is pretty, pretty small. And so, of course, we want to make sure we keep that appointment, but let's also schedule an established patient at the exact same time. So this so-called predictive booking, the term that I'm using, it's really just a fancy term for what the best schedulers in a medical practice already do. And I got to tell you, Shannon, speaking of best schedulers, I really think that our schedulers deserve a new title altogether. Indeed, they are directors of business development. I mean, that's a much, much better title for them. And so I really think we have keys to success, right? People recognizing, making all efforts to optimize that greatest asset, our provider's time. And last but not least, that proactive management of the schedule. Yeah. Um, so about the idea of scheduling and, and really providing access um, to patients, um, how do you make sure that you are providing the correct amount of access for your patients or how do you how do you really determine that adequacy well, as any seasoned practice executive knows, managing a medical practice is definitely, definitely an art, certainly not a science. And I would suggest that this holds true for ensuring that availability of appointments for patients, as well as, of course, our other important customers uh, that are referring physicians. And so it requires this great balance of patient and referring physician demand with the supply of time. Remember that we just talked about that was our greatest asset is our greatest asset. So yeah, I mean, sure, you could hire a statistician or a mathematician to manage all of this for you. But I think a great way to kind of do this on a, you know, ongoing basis is determine a guardrail, a line in the sand, if you will, Shannon, for appointment lag time. So let's just take an example. Let's say you're a urology practice and your practice is in a very 
competitive market. So it's likely that if your patients don't get accommodated in a timely manner, they're going to leave or they schedule the appointment, but they never show up. So, you know, they seek care at another urology practice. So in my opinion, it's typically fairly intuitive in terms of what the guardrail should be. I usually set it to be 10 or 14 calendar days. That's a good, good guardrail. So you want to give, let's say you choose 14 calendar days, give this number to your directors of business development. Remember, those are the schedulers. And you know what? Once they start needing to routinely schedule patients, now this wouldn't have anything to do with patient preference, but they're literally forced to schedule patients outside of this expectation. Let's say 15 days, 18 days, 24 days. So make sure they tell you, alert you of that fact. And then when you are alerted, it's time to take a deep dive into the schedule. It it might be, Shannon, a unique situation caused by a physician's, you know, time off or leave, CME or whatever it might be. But it might be a permanent issue that you really need to address. You need more time. So the question then becomes is, is it time to recruit another physician or an advanced practice provider? And so if you're not on top of that, you may find yourself in a little bit of a pickle because your schedule is totally full. I mean, totally full. But the irony is your productivity starts dropping because more and more patients no-show. And so it's this tipping point that you want to be aware of, very, very careful, recognizing that today's patients certainly are not patient. So it really pays to manage that supply and demand. Mm-hmm, definitely. Along those same lines, if, you're feel, if you are um, you know, having a very full schedule, should a practice maybe consider offering extended hours um, in order to accommodate Uh, the need? Um, And if so, what are some of the considerations that they should be making um, in deciding to do that? I think it's a great opportunity to offer extended hours, and this really can help us improve patient access, particularly for those patients that I like to refer to as time-starved. In other words, there's little time in the day to fit in doctor's appointments for themselves, a spouse, a child, etc. So, In addition to improving the patient experience, the exciting part is that there's a financial benefit. You're already paying for the space. And, you know, it's interesting because I think historically we've thought about this idea of extending hours into the evening, like opening up, you know, until six or seven or eight at night. But a terrific opportunity that I've seen very successful practices take advantage of is to offer extended hours, but in the lunch hour. So this might be a 12 noon or a 1230 appointment slot, huge value to time starved patients. Or it could even be a, if you will, pre-business hour appointment, like 7 or 7.30. And there's no requirement to extend hours every day. So, you know, try it maybe one day a week and see what traction you get. You know, I usually recommend to try it for at least four to six weeks because otherwise it's kind of hard to tell if it'll be successful. But you know what? You can always go back to your existing template. It's definitely worth taking a risk. Sure. I think um, one of the things that I've heard from some uh, administrators is that they want to extend hours, but maybe they're having some pushback from uh, the providers 
Um, do you have any tips for how to sort of sell the idea? It's a great question. I really think that uh, committing to either, you know, a rotation, so it's not like we have to do this every single day, work till seven or eight o'clock at night, and then also pitch the opportunity of, well, what about the 12 noon to 1 p.m. hour? Or people like me, I'm a huge early riser. I would love if I were a physician to do this 6.30 to 8 a.m. shift. So I think really trying to find that sweet spot, again, recognizing that, you know, physicians kind of think of this as, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss dinner with my family every night. Doesn't have to be that way. Find a win-win. Great. That's great advice. Um, so I want to turn now um, to a little bit of a different topic, um, patient-centered medical homes and patient-centered specialty practices. Um, this is definitely something that people are, are thinking about in light of new regulations and so forth. So what are some of the benefits of becoming a patient-centered medical home or a patient-centered uh, specialty practice? Well, certainly, as you know, these are specific designations from the NCQA, and I really think the process garners uh, really huge value to your practice as well as your patients. And, you know, we can talk about how, for example, if you are a PCMH or a PCSP, that you have reduced requirements related to the merit-based incentive payment systems pillar on improvement activities. So you really get those waived. But I got to tell you, I think the heart of these recognition programs are all about embracing great workflow, such as timely notification of test results, timely communication back to referring physicians, timely appointment availability. We could go on and on. And you know, it's great because successful practices have integrated this workflow related to the requirements for the program. But oh my gosh, the process of applying really enables the practice to document, analyze, and hopefully during that process also improve existing workflows for the betterment of the practice and of course your patients as well. Great. Well, what are some of the considerations administrators need to make when they are implementing one of these models? Well, I do think it's that sort of balance related to the cost benefit. So I would encourage you to think about the return on investment. You know, what value are you getting, hopefully financially? Um, and again, I mentioned the MIPS improvement activities. We also know a number of markets where payers are actually supplementing either all reimbursement or just E&M codes or providing care coordination fees to practices who do have one of these uh, recognitions. But please note that the recognition process is really labor intensive. So I would suggest it's a huge time saver to start with a template of policies, procedures, protocols. And that's exactly, if you don't mind the pun, what the doctor ordered in the guidebooks that are available from MGMA that um, I had the great opportunity to collaborate with the organization to author. And these again, are the PCMH and PCSP guidebooks. And what's super nice about them is, is they're available in electronic format. And I've had administrators who have saved dozens, if not hundreds of hours in this documentation phase related to these recognition programs. That's great. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Is there anything else that you would like to make sure to mention or have our listeners know? 
Well, certainly this is the time to really dig deep with all of the challenges from a reimbursement perspective. And we haven't talked about the political environment, goodness gracious. I think now's the time to really kind of shore up, make sure that our operations are top notch in order for us to deliver that great experience to our patients and referring physicians. And of course, be in the financial position in order to continue to provide provide that awesome mission that you have of providing wonderful quality care to your community for many, many years to come. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, For more information about Elizabeth's books and about MGMA's new practice operations report, check out our episode page at mgma.org slash podcasts.